happy Pentecost Sunday. Uh, happy, this is happy birthday, friends. Like, this is crazy. This is, we, we, we tend, in my tradition growing up, to have not marked this very sort of substantially. But 2,000 years ago, God birthed the church. When the Holy Spirit came on that pe first Pentecost, the disciples who were waiting obediently in, in accordance with Jesus, he said, wait for the, the promise of the Father to be fulfilled, to be poured out. This was, had been anticipated for centuries, and they waited. And indeed, the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, showed up and visited with them according to that promise, the promise that every follower of God would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that he would bring us to the place where we could uh, own our sin and through confession be established in relationship to the Father, and, and that then because he indwells us, he would, he would teach us, uh, because he indwells us, he, he would he would bring conviction. He would help us to walk rightly with God. And so this morning, what we, what we look to him for is that very same thing. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would you enliven scripture such that we would be able to understand what, what may be difficult, what maybe Pastor Terry mm, hasn't done such a good job of communicating? I don't know. Would you be our teacher, Holy Spirit? And where, even as we sang that song, where, where there might be sin lurking in our lives that we, we've not recognized, Holy Spirit, would you show us that, that we might walk rightly with you? We pray that. That's our prayer. That's a constant seeking after God. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, when, I was, when I was a kid, I... I knew that what I, what I most don't want to do is to embarrass Jesus. What I most didn't want to do was, was soil the reputation of the church. And, and so I developed some, some strategies for hiding my sin. Maybe you've done the same. I can share with you some, uh, some sin-hiding strategies uh, I know a lot of them. Um, none of them work, by the way. Um, but, but, but they are strategies. So, so like, there's the, the strategy of secrecy, you know? Hope, hope nobody knows. Hope nobody notices. This one is increasingly difficult in our socially connected world. Like, everybody seems to know everything about everybody, right? Secrecy. Uh, th there, there's the strategy of denial. That uh, wasn't me. Uh, I didn't do that. We see that in our politicians, like they got them recorded saying that, and then they still say, I didn't say that, right? <laughs> Which is a, a close cousin to lying. Uh, the problem, of course, with lying is that um, it adds sin upon the sin that I'm already trying to hide. Um, there's, there's avoidance, you know, just, you know, try to be, so here's what I mean by avoidance. It's maybe a close cousin to two-faced duplicity where I'm one way in one situation or with one group of people, but I'm a different way in a different situation and a different group of people. Kind of a chameleon. I can kind of blend in and be whatever the situation of the circumstance and the people that I'm with require me to be. Does your outside agree with your inside? Is what you say and do, is it in alignment with what you think and believe? And the answer is, yes, it is. And this tells 
you a great deal about what, what's really going on inside, about what's really going on. When we, when we work strategies to hide, uh, we end up engaging in, in what's called hypocrisy. And, and this is kind of the heart of the issue that we're going to attempt to get at this morning. Hypocrisy means to pretend to be something that you are not. And Jesus accused these religious leaders, we're going to read about them in just a moment, of this kind of play acting, hypocrisy. And this issue that Jesus exposes in them is an issue that needs to matter to you and me as well. And so this morning, we're, we're going to try to get at the heart of this matter. The heart of the matter is this. Are you following Jesus or are you just pretending? Play acting. Let me pray for us, and, and then we're going to open God's word together. Uh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, would you lead us in this discussion this morning? And Holy Spirit, as we've already prayed, would you teach us and help us understand and help us see what we really need to see? And Holy Father, we long to be in right relationship with you, and so we thank you that you have purposed to make that possible. And we thank you for your guidance that we're going to receive here this morning. And in Jesus' name, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Matthew chapter 15 is where we are this morning. Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen uh, behind me. Uh, I'm in the New International Version, if you're looking it up digitally. This is the word of the Lord. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God now, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when, you heard, when they heard this? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth from the, come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So this is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it this morning and live in light of it. How do I know that things are right between myself and God? Uh, how, how can I be certain of that? 
Can I be sure that I'm not just fooling myself the way these religious leaders, according to the words of Jesus, have been fooling themselves? I mean, hypocrisy, which is what Jesus accused them of, hypocrisy means to pretend to be something that you're not. And of course, this is a serious matter. You don't have to be a Christian to know this is a serious matter. People in our world want authenticity. Uh, They they consider it to be of, of supreme importance. In fact, one of the most condemning accusations against the church historically has been they're hypocrites. They don't, they don't live out what they preach. And maybe you felt the sting of that accusation yourself. Uh, as a, you've tried to share your faith with a friend and, oh, Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites. Unfortunately, sometimes it's true. But it's true much further than just the church. It's not a problem isolated to the church. Anytime someone tries to live up to their own standards of behavior and expectation, they inevitably fail. They inevitably demonstrate that the heart is sick. All you have to do is look at the Me Too campaign. I mean, it outed abuses, and that was a great thing. And then, often, those who were being loud finger pointers, their abuses came to light, and there was a hypocrisy that was present. This is the human condition. This is a problem that we face. We want consistency. We believe that our walk should match our talk, and everyone struggles to bring alignment to this. So how much more important is this when we are claiming to represent God? These religious leaders thought they were in good standing with God. And then they invited others to follow them in their practices. But but Jesus' summary assessment, frankly, is terrifying. He, He says, they are blind guides, and anyone who follows them, follows them straight to hell. That's effectively what's being said as he describes the pit that they would fall into. And then he uses this word hypocrite. The word, the word comes from the ancient Greek theater. Uh, an actor was a hypocrite. Uh, they, they pretended to be something uh, or someone that they were not. Jesus wasn't criticizing theater as a, as a means of storytelling. He, he was criticizing the, the duplicity, the hypocrisy that was showing up in these leaders' lives. These leaders claimed to guide people to God, but in actual fact, they were leading them away from God. I mean, that, that, that's a rather substantial error. I think you would agree. You know, if we put it in map reading turns, it's like, I thought I was going here, and I ended up there. You know, uh, turn left in 200 meters. Turn left in 100 meters, <laughs> right? I mean, when, when the GPS is, is wrong, it's, frustra- it's frustrating at the least. In, in this case, the assessment is it's terminal. And so this morning, we want to get at the heart of this matter. Because uh, the, the word heart shows up multiple times in the text. That's what, what, what is indicated to us. And, and the question really is, are you following Jesus or, or, or mere human rules? So, so, so we'll look firstly at the heart that pretends. This is in your outline if you want to pull it out of your bulletin. Uh, the heart that pretends, and, and then we'll, we'll briefly look at then the the heart that is pure. But to get us there, let me just recap a little bit. This text does not just exist on its own. Matthew intends this to be where it, it is. And if we pay a little bit of attention to the context, we'll learn a little bit more from it. Uh, Jesus had been at Capernaum. I forgot my little pointer. Let's pull the map up. Jesus has been at Capernaum. Hopefully you can see that on the top left. A- and he went across the Sea of Galilee, not 
all the way across, but he went around and uh, the, the top tip up to Bethsaida because uh, he wanted some alone time. Um, his, his friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed. Uh, Jesus had been rejected by friends, family in his hometown of Nazareth. Um, he, he, this is all kind of looking and smelling like what's to come in Jesus' own life and experience. Um, and, and he gets away, but the crowds follow him, and they come, he has compassion on them, as he, he so often has said in the text about his, his, his disposition toward the crowd, his compassion on them, so he teaches, and he heals them, and then it gets late in the day, and the disciples said, send them away, and he says, look, you feed them, and, he, and Jesus enables this incredible miracle where, where they feed them, and then last week we looked at how he got, he, he sent them away, he said, get in the boat, go across the lake, sent them across the lake, he stayed, and they end up like for hours, stuck in the middle of the lake. It's like these contrary winds just refused to relent. And, and then Jesus came walking out on the water to them. And, and, and eventually he and Peter got back into the boat and they worshipped him. And then we didn't read this next part where they landed a little off course in Gennesaret. You can see it right below Capernaum there on the top left-hand corner of the lake. Um, and there was this extraordinary experience. I wish we'd had time to kind of go there too, but, but these were good-hearted soil, good-soil-hearted people. Like, they responded. They go, they tell everybody, Jesus is here, come, they bring everybody, they listen, everybody's healed. They, just, they were all reaching out to Jesus. Matthew's been illustrating this kind of good-hearted soil versus hard-hearted soil as we've been going along. People in Nazareth have rejected Jesus. Uh, Herod, hard-hearted soil, clearly. Uh, Gennesaret, this group that clearly respond generously, good-hearted soil. Mm, disciples, we, we kind of expect them to be good-hearted soil, but uh, sometimes thorns are showing up. Sometimes they're a little shallow. Um, Jesus here says, you know, are you still so dull? <laughs> right? You know, and, 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 but there's hope, right? Because if we follow this narrative along, if you've done that, you know these guys, they, they become rock, rock stars. Like, <laughs> They become followers of Jesus, and God uses them so powerfully and wonderfully. Like, they just keep growing, and increasingly, they become this, this good-hearted soil they've longed to be. So when you, when you find thorns showing up, don't despair. Don't despair. God's not done with you yet. God's not done with me yet, either. Matthew's been illustrating this, and, and now chapter 15, and, and these officials from Jerusalem show up. What do you think? Good-hearted soil? Hard-hearted soil. Kind of obvious, right? Um, they, they seem to have been sent to check up on Jesus, but actually Jesus ends up doing a checkup on them. You ever gone to your doctor for checkup? Dr. Jesus' assessment of these men was that the, these serious-minded religious leaders have a bad heart. A in fact, the condition was terminal. This is going to kill them. And Matthew's inviting us to, to observe. He's inviting us to learn. And then he's inviting us to make whatever course corrections we need to be making in order not to follow in, in that kind of path, that kind of trajectory. Because we, we might, on the surface, be like the, the people of Israel, and we would look at these religious leaders and say, how can they, how can they have spiritual heart disease? I mean, they, they eat all the right spiritual food. Right? These guys know scripture. 
You know, they, they, these guys get all the right spiritual exercise. They talk about faith. You know, they, they're in the community. They're, they're active. They're spending time praying. How can they have missed this? And yet Jesus' assessment is that they're, they're pretenders. They, they are, they're only acting the part. They're only kind of just doing enough to get by. Their spirituality is not real. Jesus' assessment is they're hypocrites, so don't follow in their ways. But if you want to understand the problem of their ways, you've got to understand the heart that is, that is under all of this. So we'll call that this morning, we're going to call that the heart that pretends. Now we say, well, what is a heart that pretends? Unfortunately, Jesus spells it out for us. Verse, th- verse 3 through 6, they put tradition and popular thought above Scripture. Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. They nullify the word of God. They cancel out the word of God, like they diffuse the intent and the power of Scripture in, in their God says, but we say kind of treatment. And we've got to examine this closely because there's a heart thing that's going on here underneath this. Uh, the question is, am I willing to hear what God says even when I don't like it? Like, like am I willing to live in such a manner that, 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 that I live under Scripture? that it becomes the filter through which I process life. And, and even when it seems to cut across that which makes sense to me, I'm going to come back to it, and I'm going to give it priority in my life. Am I willing to hear what God has to say, or am I listening to mere human teaching? So th- these religious leaders from Jerusalem came seeking out Jesus and they criticized Jesus' disciples for this whole hand-washing thing. Now, th- th- this is nothing about germs. As moderns, we kind of read that back into it, right? This was not about good sanitary practice. Um, this was a, a ritual act that was intended to demonstrate spiritual purity. Um, look how spiritual I am. Um, the, the idea was that when I take bread, when, when I eat, uh, I, I don't want to somehow ingest sin, uh, so I'm going to wash my hands of it. Sanitary practice, but that's not what they were doing. And, and, and so they came up with these ideas to try to preserve the heart of the law. Uh, but, but then one thing leading to the next, are, are, are in an unrelated conversation, willing to break the fifth commandment. Okay, so it's not okay to break my rules, but it is okay to break God's rules. So, so the two ideas... The hand-washing thing really doesn't have anything to do with the fifth commandment. Jesus is just kind of hitting them in a soft spot in order to make his point. You you, you keep saying the right things, but there's a hard problem here that is really screwed up. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you in the land. The the practice that had evolved here uh, was was this idea that if one... uh, could promise their estate to the temple, kind of signed over the deed. You could live out of, you know, that estate, but it's, it's the temple's. It belongs to the temple now. Um, looks, the result was it looks good. I mean, 
Jeepers, you know, that person, that family is so utterly committed to God that, that they have, have made this pledge to him. Everything I own belongs to God. Now, of course, you and I know that that's the way it is. <laughs> Everything we own belongs to God. Everything we are is his. But, but, but in, in that situation, in that society, uh, they were, the, the whole seniors care social network, what, what was was the children. So if the situation arose that my parents found, fell on hard times, um, but I had pledged my estate to the temple, the ruling was the temple wins. No backsies. Okay? Can't draw on resources that you're still managing and still living out of in order to help your parents. That's not okay. Um, and, and yet, it was a society where my kids are my retirement fund. No RSPs, no mutual funds, no annuities to draw on. My kids are my social care network. And the heart of this was that these leaders were lacking a, 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 a compassion and mercy. They were lacking a, a social concern for the, for the at-risk in their society. And the very people that Moses was particularly concerned should be honored were being dishonored in this process. God said, honor your father and mother. And, and these serious-minded religious leaders looked for some loopholes for the sake of, of religiosity, for the sake of appearance, maybe for the sake of lining their pockets. We're not sure on that. But it resulted in a violation of God's law. And this is a big problem. Maybe you remember Jesus' brother, James. He, he wrote a, a letter to the churches, end of the New Testament, toward the ends of the New Testament. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 10. He wrote this. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now, we're not talking about either of those commandments, but the principle's there. Break the fifth commandment, you broke all the commandments. Like, this is a problem. This is a problem. They put their tradition, they put their popular thinking ahead of Scripture, and it was a warning signal that there's something wrong inside when you stop listening to, to some fundamentals that are there, that have been given by God. They, they're not truly willing to submit themselves to the instruction of Scripture. They're not willing to adjust their lives according to the instructions that Moses gave in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They weren't willing to live in accordance with the examples that were learned, the lessons that were learned through the biblical narratives of the Old Testament, or, or submit their lives to the wise writings of the, of the wisdom writings in the, in the Old Testament. Rather, they would prefer tradition and popular thoughts. And here was one example that Jesus gave of this, and it indicates a problem in their heart. Right? Maybe you've been there. I've got a great idea. We should. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Now let's shine the light of Scripture on that great idea and see what it exposes. See what we find. Yeah, we're smart people, right? Highly educated people. Logic would say that we should. Okay, okay, God gave us brains. He gave us an ability to think. Praise God for that. Let's take that logic and, and let's submit that logic to biblical scrutiny. Let's just see 
whether it truly is godly wisdom or is it worldly wisdom? Am I, am I, willing, am I willing to live in such a place where I would give Scripture, give God's Word, this kind of authority in my life? They put tradition, popular thought ahead of Scripture. Here's the second thing that was going on there. They were focused on appearances. These serious-minded leaders, this is verse 8, if you're kind of tracking here, these serious-minded leaders had come to believe that purity works from the outside in. Okay, so if you do the right things, eventually it will work purity into your life. So, so if I attend church and say my prayers and read scripture on a daily basis and, and avoid evil behaviors, I will become acceptable by God, to God. Uh, don't kill, verse 19, uh, don't, don't kill uh, anyone, don't sleep around, don't steal or lie or slander, kind of tick the boxes and you're, you're good to go. Now, now that list comes straight out of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus says the problem here is that these things come out from the heart. It's an inside-out, not an outside-in process. You're fooling yourself if you think that good behavior will work purity into your life. Good behavior needs to come out of a good heart. But as long as the heart's sick, you've got a problem. These leaders had, had, had somehow turned it around. They'd gotten it backwards. I mean, it's very common in our world today to, to get this backwards. Sometimes by actually the opposite, right? Maybe you've heard it said, maybe you've said it yourself. It's what's inside that counts. Which what we mean is the external really doesn't matter. It's what's inside that counts. Now, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, appearances in this case are deceiving. What all is not as it should be, especially for those who are trying to represent me. It appears as though these religious leaders are right with God. This is the pretense that they've brought, that they're in good standing with God, but they're wearing the mask of an actor. They're being hypocritical. And we might then be inclined to judge them and say, oh, shame on them. Oh, isn't that terrible? How could they behave in such a way? And the fact of the matter is it's actually worse than you, than you might imagine because in verse 9, Jesus says their worship was worthless. Their failure to take matters of social justice seriously indicated a sickness in their hearts which resulted in a canceling of the effectiveness of their worship. This is scandalous, the impact. Now, on the other hand, right, we live in a world that would like, would like us to see their social action and concern as a demonstration of their purity, but Jesus has already ruled that out. Like, it doesn't work from the outside in. Jesus invites us to behave in such a way that it, it's come from within. It's come from a heart that's been changed. Saying the right things claiming to worship God, but never engaging in, in care for the vulnerable or the exposed or the needy. I mean, this becomes a commentary of the heart. The, the concern that should be there when we find ourselves uninterested in these conversations has got to be a, a, an examination of our own heart, saying, am I at risk of a hard-hearted soil here? 
Is that, is that what's really going on? You know, I say that, and, and there's some good news coming. But I, I'm sorry to say, this gets worse. This gets worse because the problem is, I don't even know my own heart. I mean, the prophet Jeremiah actually spoke to this. This is a text that, that these religious leaders would have had memorized. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he writes, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Maybe we can say, oh, I'm going to get what I deserve. That's good. That's not good. That's not good. Like, when you think about that for two minutes and, and you realize, I don't want what I deserve. I want mercy. That, that, that's what I desperately am in need for. Like, I begin to get a glimpse of, of, of how broken and damaged my heart is, what it wants, what it longs for, how, how unruly it is to keep it going in a consistent direction, how confused and misguided my, heart's, my heart can be. And we realize, we realize we are desperate here. I want mercy. I don't want justice. I don't want what I deserve. And frankly, this would lead us to despair if not for Jesus. Because this is a matter of the heart. I mean, what do we do with a heart that pretends? We, we need to pursue a heart that is pure. And the only way to get a pure heart is to bring the old pretending heart to Jesus. You see, the Pharisees' strategy has been tried by so many people. It doesn't work. It doesn't work trying to behave yourself into right relationship with God. Jesus called them mere human rules. For, for, for these Jewish leaders, it was meticulous attention to the Old Testament law. It was adding layers of rules on top of it just to be sure. They talked about putting a fence around the law to try to protect it. Wash your hands before uh, you eat uh, to avoid putting impure things into you and somehow sin entering your body. I mean, it makes sense from a sanitary perspective, but it, but it was not what they intended. Top-down kind of... So, um, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, yeah, day off, everyone gets a day off. Isn't it? Honor God in these ways. Uh, but, but then fence it. So, uh, here's how many miles you can walk on a, it wasn't more than many, uh, on a Sabbath. Uh, here's how much you can carry without it being construed as work. Uh, rules, fences around the law, just to, to, to kind of make sure that we stayed back from it. I mean, there, there were over 600 rules that were part of the Mishnah, uh, that ultimately was the collection of these, these rules, these traditions, uh, these, Things that somehow, if I do these things and check these boxes, then I'm going to be okay with God. Then my sin is going to be dealt with. And Matthew, kind of throughout his gospel, has been inviting us to see that the only hope for the pretending heart, a.k.a. the hard heart, the shallow soil heart, the, the thorn-infested heart, the only hope for the pretending heart is to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can purify that old heart. 
And maybe we say, look, follow Jesus kind of seems a little nebulous, like it seems a little obscure. I mean, what do you mean, follow Jesus? How do I do that? Here's the complication. As soon as I give you a list of things to do and rules to follow that are going to help you follow Jesus, you're getting it, right? Oh my goodness, we're, we're right back where the, the heart is wicked, it's deceitful. It just says, give me the three easy steps so that I can be right with God and, and then I'll be good to go. Come to worship each Sunday and read scripture every day and talk to Jesus in prayer throughout your day and join a serve team and, and, and join a life group. I mean, these are good things to do and we invite you to do them because we think it'll help you grow spiritually. But, but when we, our, our, our wicked hearts tend to turn those things around and they become deeds of righteousness that we somehow think that, well, this is what's making me okay. No, no, it's not. Jesus is the only thing that can make you okay. And, and then we, out of the goodness that he begins to work in this renewed heart, we begin to do these things out of a completely different motivation. Our, our, hearts, our hearts are sick. And, and we just need to bring, just, we need to bring them to Dr. Jesus and begin to follow him. Where's, where's your heart this morning? What has your heart been following? What's your heart been looking at? What's it been lingering on? What does your heart love most? Would you be inviting, would you be willing rather to invite Jesus into this evaluation? I mean, maybe that seems a little scary, a little risky. But since we don't even know our own hearts, I think we need help in this, friends. Dr. Jesus, would you come and examine my heart this morning? I'm going to invite you to bow with me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. But, but if you just bow with me, Holy Spirit, will you sanctuary this time and this place of prayer and will you protect every person here and silence any attempts the evil one would make to disrupt or confuse anyone? In the name of Jesus, guard us. Put a hedge around us while we meet with you. And Lord Jesus, this morning we're trying to get to the heart of this matter. And the heart of this matter is this question, is, am I following you, Jesus? Or, or, or am, I, am I just pretending? Is there hypocrisy there? And friends, let me just, with your head bowed, just let me just invite you to pray this silently with me to God. Jesus, Jesus, would you examine my heart? Shine the light of truth into the recesses of my life. Holy Spirit, if there is sin present, would you bring conviction? listen for his voice, a couple of words of direction. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is always specific. He will identify a specific sin, a specific action, a specific behavior or attitude. He will never bring a general sense of dread or shame. That's the voice of the evil one. Send him away in the name of Jesus. And then listen for the still small voice. 
to shine the light of truth into the recesses of my life. If there is sin present, would you bring conviction? A couple of probing questions, friends. What do you worship? Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Do these things own your heart? Do they have your allegiance rather than Jesus? What have you been trusting in to make you right with God? Would you renounce all things but Jesus as that which would make you right with God? quietly pray this prayer between you and God. Lord Jesus, I agree with this conviction of the Holy Spirit and confess this sin. Spell it out. Be specific. Lord Jesus, I agree with this conviction of the Holy Spirit and confess this sin. Please forgive my sin and help me to walk with a clean heart, a renewed heart, a new heart that you would give me. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sin. of Jesus. This is great news. If you confess your sin to God in the name of Jesus, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. He has removed the guilt. He removes the shame of sin in your life. He takes it away and you are invited to hold your head up and follow Jesus. Can we do that together?